a dose of deception with the queens of queens, Shannon and Emily. In our podcast, we'll be discussing murders, missing persons cases, mysteries, and a whole lot of conspiracy theories. So stay tuned for the wild ride. Hey queens, welcome back to Dose of Deception for episode 10. <laughs> We've made it to double digits. We really appreciate all of you guys' support so far. And like usual, I'm just going to quickly remind everyone that we do have a bunch of social media accounts. Uh, our Instagram is at Dose of Deception. And we have a Facebook group <laughs> that is also at Dose of Deception. So for episode 10, Emily is going to kick us off this week. All right. So before I start, I am covering the case of Maitrese Richardson. Okay. Before I start, I want to say this is an extremely frustrating case, which could have ended much differently. Sick. (laughs) This didn't need to happen. Okay. Now, I truly believe that race played a role in the outcome of this case. Mm. So Maitrese Richardson, she was African-American. And when I explain the circumstances surrounding her death, we'll Mm. call it, I, I mean, it was... She died naturally, apparently. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, I think you might agree that race was definitely a factor in the lack of police support for her and her family. Okay. So let's get into, you know, who she is first. Okay. Maitrese was born on April 30th, 1985 in Los Angeles to Latisse Sutton and Michael Richardson. Mm-hmm. So they combine their names, Latisse and Michael. Oh. Yeah, it's really cute. That's cute. It is really cute. <laughs> so Maitrese was raised by her mother, Latisse, and her stepfather, Larry Sutton, in Covina, California, after her father, Michael, was arrested and had to serve eight years in prison for dealing drugs. Mm. So, Latisse and Michael were teenagers when they had um, Maitrese. So, they were living paycheck to paycheck, and Michael just wanted a better life for her. Mm-hmm. So, he did what he had to do, and unfortunately, he did have to serve time, but he was just trying to do what was best for his family. Okay. So, while he was in jail, Latisse met Larry Sutton and ended up with him, and that's why um, Maitrese was raised in um, Covina. Okay. Maitrese was described as a very wise and deep person, someone you would love to have a conversation about life with. That's mm. what people would describe her. Um, she was also a dancer and a cheerleader, and she was very physically active. Mm-hmm. So she's just an all-around good uh, good person, I guess you could yeah. say. I mean, she's the type of person who had a, pun- uh, she had a fun side to her. Okay. She was a go-go dancer um, on Friday nights. Love. And she loved to have fun. She was a very upbeat person. So she's either, whether you wanted to have a serious conversation about life Mm -hmm. or you wanted to just go out, have a good night. She's the person. That's what everyone described her as. Yeah. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) So Maitrese graduated from California State University in 2008 with a degree in psychology. And she was a very intelligent young woman. She had plans to continue her education. Um, and get a doctorate in child psychology. Okay. She, she was going to go on and, you know, become a doctor, which is pretty okay. crazy. So she wanted to work with kids? Yes. She okay. wanted to work with kids. Matrice was a beautiful woman, and she participated in beauty pageants. So her mother was also very um, beauty pageant mm-hmm. And she just grew... <laughs> beauty pageant <laughs> I don't know what to call it. But they grew up, you know, very in that world. Yeah. And she is a very beautiful woman. Uh, she also came out to her family as lesbian before her short 24 years of life came to an abrupt end. 24. 24. Mm. Isn't that so young? Yeah. Yeah. But she did come out um, to her family, said she was gay, and her family was super accepting of it. Um, they encouraged her to do what makes her happy in all aspects of life. Love. Sexuality, everything. Love. Oh, yeah. I love that so much. So she was dating her girlfriend, and her name was Tessa Moon, for two years at the time of her death. Okay. That's not really relevant. Tessa's not part of it, but... She did have a girlfriend because there's a lot of talk, which I'll get into after, about this girl that she liked named Vanessa, mm-hmm. who didn't reciprocate those feelings, and um, it kind of messed with her head a bit. Mm. But there's a, that's also all word of mouth, so yeah. she's not here to say that. So I don't want to ever assume anything. Assume anything. Yeah. I yeah, she did have a girlfriend at the time. So after graduating college, Maitrese moved to an area in LA. I'm sorry, an area outside of Los Angeles okay. called Watts, California. Now, she moved in with her great-grandmother, Mildred, who was living alone during the time, and Maitrese wanted to take care of her 91-year-old great-grandma. So that kind of shows you the type of person that she was as well. Yeah. You know, she put her life, not necessarily on hold or aside, she still went out, had fun, Yeah. still was a go-go dancer, but she did want to take care of her grandma. Yeah, and prioritize that. Exactly. So let's get into her disappearance. Okay. Because this is very frustrating. Mm. Like I said, it didn't have to happen. Anyway. <laughs> So, Maitrese and Mildred had dinner together every Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. However, on Wednesday, September 16th, Maitrese canceled dinner with Mildred, and they both rescheduled for another day. Mm. Mildred explained that Maitrese told her the ocean was calling her name. 
Mm. Yeah, the variety is sketch. Mm-hmm. So she was going to the beach that evening instead, which is kind of weird because they had dinner together every Wednesday. If she wanted to go to the beach, she could have just gone Thursday. Uh-huh. It's a little weird, right? And especially she said she didn't mention that it was planned with friends, with other people. Nope. She just said that she was going to the beach, so yeah. she could have done that any day. Exactly. Um, Mildred says that she and my trees instead um, spent a few hours in the house talking and catching up. She was acting normal, her mm-hmm. grandmother said, her great-grandmother, um, before my trees left her home around 5 p.m. that evening. Okay. So that's when she left her home. Interestingly, her boss at the shipping company she worked at, so like I said, she was a go-go dancer on Friday nights, mm-hmm. but she also worked at a shipping company during the day. Okay. Um, her boss said that my trees had an earlier shift that Wednesday, September 16th, and she came to work happy and normal. Her personality, you know, nothing was weird. Okay. However, once she left for lunch, she never returned from her break. Mm-hmm. She didn't tell anyone where she went, and her co-workers, like I said, said her personality was not off at all, and they did not suspect anything was wrong until she didn't come back for lunch, yeah, after lunch. That's weird. So, I mean, I don't think she ever explained that. Clearly, after lunch, I'm assuming she just went wherever she went, and then went home with her grandmother, spent mm-hmm. some time with her, and then 5 p.m. is the last anyone really saw her, um, okay. that she knew. Shortly after leaving the home at 5 p.m., my trees can be seen entering the parking lot of joffrey's i believe you say it mm-hmm. restaurant and that's a restaurant in malibu it's a very upscale restaurant okay. it's fancy and she was alone <laughs> completely alone in this footage she wasn't going mm. to the restaurant with anyone weird that's i mean my friend goes out to so my friend is married mm-hmm. and he likes to go out alone without yeah. his wife and go out to eat so that's not weird yeah i don't think it's that weird to go out and eat on your own i think it's weird to pick a super yes. fancy place out exactly on your own. yeah that is weird. And also the way she was, like, kind of being weird a little bit mm-hmm. um, makes it more sketchy. Mm-hmm. So Joffrey's, like I said, was an upscale restaurant that only had valet parking. Mm. So the man working, I don't know his name, but he okay. was the valet man, we'll call him. Yeah, <laughs> valet man. <laughs> so he told Matrice, my tree, sorry, just, to just wait one minute so that he could park the car of the person in front of her. Okay. Strangely, when he returned for Matrice's car, she was sitting inside of his car. Which confused him and okay. weirded him out a bit. A little bit, yeah. yeah. When he asked my trees why she was in his car, she spit out a bunch of random words that did not make any sense. And I was thinking the way to visualize it, because I'm, you know, psychology. Uh-huh. It's kind of like, do you know Wernicke's aphasia? No. <laughs> okay. I don't even know if that's one word that you just said. <laughs> okay, so, so it's kind of like someone suffering from Wernicke's aphasia, but that's... She definitely wasn't. Um, it's just... Okay, it's the way to describe it is people who talk in word salads. So they'll say they're fluent. Their uh-huh. their speech is fluent. Uh-huh. So broke as aphasia is when your speech is broken up. Okay. It's very like you you know what you're trying to say. You'll be like Wednesday dentist. Okay. You'll say like a whole sentence with just random words that aren't a sentence, mm-hmm. but you'll get the gist. Oh, maybe you have a doctor's appointment Tuesday, uh-huh. Wednesday you have a dentist. Okay. Wernicke's aphasia, they're fluent, so they're not broken up like that. Mm-hmm. However, none of the words make sense. They'll be like, the sky told me to wash my blanket. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So Nothing like in the person's head, everything yes. that they're saying makes perfect yeah. sense, but out loud, it's not what they're actually saying. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So yeah, that's exactly Say that word what again? Wernicke's aphasia. Okay. <laughs> 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 so that's kind of how um i would describe it so that's how my trees was speaking which is a bit weird okay um so like she was able to speak fluently the valet drivers the valet parker said <laughs> is that a symptom of something normally uh, or is it just something that happens i mean oh wernicke's aphasia no yeah. wernicke's aphasia is when your brain gets damaged in that area oh okay. yeah okay but no that didn't happen to her that was just something that reminded me of it oh okay, 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 okay. yeah <laughs> sorry i thought you would have known that but i realized you didn't do psychology <laughs> So nothing she was saying was, like, a proper sentence. So the guy was just like, okay, get out of my car. (laughs) Okay. The proper Um, response. (laughs) I wouldn't know what to do. (laughs) So this is the part where I want to bring in the Vanessa. This is just a side note. This is not... I was reading different articles. Different Mm -hmm. articles said different things. Okay. I don't want to say anything, you know, that isn't factual. But Mm -hmm. this is what the valet man said that Mitrice told him when he asked her what was happening. She told him to watch out for Vanessa. Oh. Okay, so I didn't get... I'm not going to get into her, um, but Vanessa was, her, her friend said, uh-huh. a woman that Mitrice was friends with, mm-hmm. who she developed feelings for, but the feelings were not reciprocated, and she got a girlfriend shortly after. Okay. So Mitrice's friend said that after this, Mitrice was more withdrawn, um, so it is interesting that in this state of mind that she was in, when she clearly wasn't having any coherent thoughts, mm-hmm. she, like she was still able to think about Vanessa, or yeah. I don't know. Huh. But she was in a relationship, so I don't want to bring that up. Yeah. 
I don't know if she actually said it. I mean, the valet man yeah. probably was just confused. Well, even if she did say it, that doesn't mean that she's... And like she could that's still a person that she knows and has thoughts yeah. about even if she is in a relationship that doesn't mean necessarily that she wants to be in a relationship with Vanessa yeah. or anything like that but, but that's still did, a person she knows that she might be able to speak about yeah so she did say watch out for her to him but obviously he didn't know who that was yeah so the valet worker escorted her out of his car and into the restaurant and he told her he told the restaurant the staff to kind of watch out keep an eye on her she was acting strange um and she was seated alone in the restaurant mm-hmm so my Teresa did not hold back <laughs> at this <laughs> dinner. She got a cocktail and a sixty dollars steak for herself. A sixty dollars sixty dollars steak, steak. Good for yeah. her. I know, right? <laughs> she did not hold back at Joffrey's. Um, however, she was acting strange in the restaurant. Okay. Because in the middle of eating, my Teresa noticed a group of friends sitting at a table near her. Like a group of not her friends, a group of like, like yeah. they were friends. Okay. And this group of people told authorities that she pulled up a chair next to their table and asked if she could join. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, something I would do. Weird, but not that weird. Not, yeah. I wouldn't do it in a fancy restaurant, but I would do it in, like, an Applebee's. Yeah, that's not that weird. <laughs> so they also, this is the weird part, though. They also confirmed that my trees was not making any sense, mm. just like the valet man said. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, this is something that they gave police. Um, they asked where she was from, and she replied with Mars. And she also told the group that she was going to avenge the death of Michael Jackson. Mm. That's, like, kind of where Nikki's aphasia Wait, resembles. when did this happen? This happened in... 2009 oh don't quote me on that well but still no i i the only date that was still stuck in my mind was the date that you said she was born so that's why i was like that happened way before michael jackson would have died so she really wasn't making sense but yeah yeah so she disappeared september 17th 2009 okay then that's crazy because she was at this restaurant and the 16th oh yeah the day before okay we'll see what happens this is gets very very frustrating okay now, interestingly, after um, she finished her steak and mm-hmm. drink, um, the group next to her got up to leave. Okay. Because um, they were finished eating. And my trees tried to walk out of the restaurant with them and just, like, blend in, I guess. Okay. Um, however, the manager stopped her because she had an $89 bill that she refused to pay. Mm. The staff recognized Maitrice's bizarre behavior and called her. So they, they asked her um, if somebody else could come and pay the bill for her. Mm-hmm. The only number that she could remember was her great-grandmother's, who okay. was 91. Yeah. So, however, they did call the great-grandmother, um, but they told Mildred, the 91-year-old, that she either had to come down to the restaurant in person, which she couldn't do. Yeah. She couldn't, like, drive or, you yeah. know. Or fax over a signature, but she did not own a fax machine. Um, I know. <laughs> okay. So they said that they can't settle the bill unless she does that. And that was around 10 p.m. on the 16th. So what did they do? So... Um, other restaurant goers offered to pay Mitrice's bill because they just saw how it was kind of escalating and it just didn't yeah, need to. Yeah, and they could, I'm sure they could see what they could kind see, of state yeah. she was in. Yeah. But the manager was very concerned for her well-being and also didn't want her to leave without paying, obviously. Mm-hmm. So the restaurant called the police. Mm. Yeah. So here's the police call that they made. Lawful Sheriff Station, Deputy Shalef, I can help you. Hi, I'm calling from Joffrey's restaurant in Malibu. Yeah. Um, we have a guest here who is refusing to pay her bill, and we think she may, I mean, she sounds really crazy, she may be on drugs or something. Um, we are wondering if someone can come by and pick her up. Okay, well, what's the address there? It's 27400 Pacific Coast Highway. And uh, is she a white, black, Asian, Hispanic? She's a um, young black girl, she's probably in her 20s. Okay, what's she wearing? She's wearing a black t-shirt. And I think blue jeans. Is she with anybody else? No, it's just her. So once um, I saw the police come to the restaurant, she obviously got nervous, but the police said that they were just trying to calm her and she was still saying crazy things. Okay. So really nothing changed in that sense. Okay. The first thing the officers did when they saw her was a field field sobriety test, obviously. Do you need one right now? (laughs) (laughs) I think so. (laughs) So... So they did a field sobriety test, which is crazy, this part, because I was like, oh, she's on drugs, right? Mm-hmm. No, they determined that Maitrice was not under the influence of any substances during her visit to the restaurant. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Now, once they determined she was sober, Maitrice said, my wallet's in my car. Mm-hmm. Can you go get it to the police, right? Fair. This part is very frustrating because upon their search for Maitrice's wallet, which was right in the car where you could see it, yeah. they determined after. Okay. 
they didn't find the wallet, right? Okay. But of course they found um, less than an ounce of marijuana in her car. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so she was arrested for refusing to pay a bill and for possession of an illegal substance. Of course. So they took her. But what is that legal? Marijuana? Well, no. I obviously don't know. <laughs> no, I was like, it's 2009. I mean, for them. them to search in the car like that. Oh, yeah. She I know said, she can mean. you grab my wallet if it's sitting... Right on her, on the seat. Yeah, the weed was in, like, the middle thing that you open. Yeah. So, so she, they would have had to be searching through her car. Yeah, they Don't have you need, stuff. like, evidence to do that? And if they had already done the sobriety test and determined that she wasn't under the influence of anything, then they don't really have any significant proof to be able to search the car. But whatever. Yeah, but you're going to really, really be pissed off this <laughs> yeah, case. Yeah, I already um, am, and we're about yeah. five seconds into the bad things happening. <laughs> no, the police really did not handle this well. They also, her mother, oh my god, her mother handles this... Like, the way she speaks and the way she talks about this case is so classy, I guess you could say. Where I would just be screaming. I'd be so angry at the police. Mm -hmm. Her mother still, like, I don't know. She she really deserved better. Yeah. In this whole thing. And the police did not give the mother an ounce of respect, pretty much. Mm. They weren't, like, disrespectful, but they didn't tell her what was happening to her daughter. Yeah. When she asked them, she would call them and ask them. And I'll get into that. Mm -hmm. But anyway... Um, this is part really frustrates me because the officers who arrested my Trice said that after her arrest, they took away her phone, purse, and money, obviously, mm-hmm. but, like, they took it for good, kind of, um, and they also towed her car to, like, a far away where she couldn't get it. Okay. Um, and then my Trice was then detained and booked at the Malibu Lost Hills Sheriff's Station. Okay. I mean kind of like that doesn't make sense don't they like keep your stuff for like when you get out of jail yeah they keep it for when you get out of jail yeah but i mean we don't know what's going on with this case i'll get more into it and you can make your theories on it but um yeah they did tow away her car though so she didn't have a means of leaving jail pretty much yeah and her grandmother's 93 it's not like she can go pick her up i feel bad for her grandma right now she just got the phone call i know and now she like doesn't really know what's happening yeah so Latisse Sutton, um, Matrice's mother, mm-hmm. she made a phone call to the station, which I will play now. Okay. Um, in it, she explains how she's obviously concerned about her daughter's mental state, and the station, which you will hear, makes a promise not to release Matrice until the next morning when the mother could be there, mm-hmm. because Latisse had a ten-year-old daughter at home, so she wanted to wait until the morning. Yeah. Because this was at ten p.m. that she got arrested. Makes sense. They wanted to wait until the morning to pick her up, and the you'll hear it. The department says we will not release her. <laughs> okay. I'm calling. I'm a little frazzled right now. I understand my daughter is being brought into the station. My Therese Richardson, have they made it to the station yet? And she's been booked. Okay. Is, is, do you know where she's coming from? Uh, it's some restaurant out in Malibu. And I, I didn't even think to get the name. The manager's okay, yeah, name only, is... The only uh, place we have somebody that's in custody that they just announced on the radio that they're coming up is from Joffrey's. In Joffrey's Highway. It's okay. the only female that's being brought up to the station as we speak. They actually just put it on the radio right before you called. Okay, okay. I'm I'm her mother, oh, okay. and are you guys going to book her and then release her on her own re- recognizance tonight? Because it, it, it's dark. She doesn't have a car, and I don't want her wandering out. I'm I'm totally just taken aback because this is so out of character for her. Yeah. And you'll see when she comes in, she she's well spoken. I think the only way I will come and get her tonight is if you guys are going to release her tonight. Yeah. If she's going to be held in custody for some type of arraignment tomorrow, mm-hmm. then I will wait until tomorrow. She definitely has no place, you know, I mean, she's not from that area, and I would hate to wake up to a morning report, girl, yeah. lost somewhere with her head chopped off, uh-huh. so I guess I would have to come and get her. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're in a great house. The only thing is, at least in the station here, she will be separated, so nobody's going to be with her. Uh, so at least that's, you know, the plus thing, so you don't have to worry about her safety. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I feel safe with her being in, in, in custody, <laughs> being released, but I'm worried about it. It's, it's crazy out here. All right. Well, then I will more than likely call and touch basis with you guys a little bit later. Uh, once yeah, she'll she call you as soon as she comes in, too. Now, that part where she was like, I don't want to wake up to a morning report or whatever. I know. That gave me the chills. It's, I know. It's a lot of foreshadowing. I mean, she said, because it was like... So unrealistic in her mind that she can make a joke about it. I know. Her mom seems really sweet. So in the phone call, you can clearly hear the officer say that Maitrice will call Latisse when she gets in, right? Mm Mm-hmm. However, Latisse never heard from her daughter. Mm. So she ended up calling the police station back at 5 a.m. the next morning. Okay. So she's arrested at 10. I'm assuming brought in probably 10.30. Mm Mm-hmm. 5 a.m. the next morning, um, Latisse calls back the station. Now, they tell Latisse that despite them saying that she wouldn't be released, you know, without her car, without mm-hmm. her 
her mother or whatever. Um, Maitrese was released only a few hours after her arrest on September 17th, 2009 at 1218 a.m. So they released her at midnight, yeah. a little bit after midnight. Um, they, none of her belongings, they gave her back. And since they still had her phone, purse, and money, Maitrese could not call for assistance. And her, also her car was towed away, so she had to leave. Her, her only means of leaving the station was by foot in the middle of the night. And the officers didn't offer her a ride anywhere either. Yeah, and she was clearly far away from wherever she would need to be going back to. Yes. Now, this was um, obviously met with backlash from media. Yeah. Except, um, however, Steve Whitmore, the spokesperson for the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, said, quote, Richardson was released from jail because she exhibited no signs of mental illness or intoxication. She was fine. She's an adult. Okay, but wasn't she so... Co- wasn't her yes. being coherent basically the reason that she was arrested in yes. the first place? So they, that's, there's no grounds to even say that. Yeah, so she, even if she... Okay, sure, she's sober and she doesn't have drugs on, in her. Like, she's still... Something's still obviously up. I know. That doesn't make sense. Exactly. Um, and interestingly, people were pissed about this because Mel Gibson was arrested for a DUI just at that same police station like a few years earlier. Mm-hmm. And police gave him a ride to his vehicle after his release. Um, and people were obviously frustrated why she didn't get the same treatment. Yeah, obviously, I mean, money and race play yeah, a role. And also, Mel Gibson's the worst, <laughs> but whatever. That's a side note. <laughs> and also, she was released at midnight. You think they would just... That's the middle of the night. Anything could happen to her. Yeah. But no. Or just, like, let her sit in the station. And even if you don't keep her in a cell or whatever, yeah, just let I know. her sit in the waiting room. Even if you wait until 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, like, people can be up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And call her mom. Yeah, they didn't call her mom. And so, obviously, like I said, the next morning at 5 a.m., Latisse called back to the department, which I will play now. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was understandably upset, um, yet she somehow still kept her cool, which I would not be doing at this point. I would be so angry. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's crazy. But I'll play that call for you now. Get through. Yes, good, good morning. My name is Latisse Button. I'm calling to follow up on my daughter who was brought in last night around... 
we, I mean, there's a lot of options and I, a lot of possibilities, and I don't think all of them would be, um, you know, something dire. But I can certainly understand your fears, you know, being your daughter and all that. Well, um, I think she's depressed. That's what has me is that what, like That's worried that. you more than just her. Okay. That and the fact that she's in an area where she doesn't know where she's at. Yeah, does so. she take medication at all? No, she. I, I believe it's a state that she's in right now because of just the, the weird activity that's been going on. What's her name? Day. What's her, her name? Is, her name is Matrice okay. Richardson. Okay, and your name, ma'am? Okay, Here, here's what I want you to do. Let, yeah. get, why don't you wait a couple hours and, and give us some time to kind of, I'll go back and talk to the jailer and try and get a timeline of when she was released and, you know, make sure she's not asleep in our lobby or anything like that. And then once you give us a call back in a couple hours, if she hasn't shown up okay. or made contact with you, then maybe we can do something for you, okay? So about six hours after Matrice's release, at 6.30 a.m., police received a call from a man named Bill Smith, who was a rancher living about six to eight miles from the police station. Mm -hmm. Smith said Matrice was sitting in his backyard, and when Smith opened the window and asked if she was okay, Matrice told him she was resting. So she wasn't acting, like, dangerous to herself or others. Okay. She wasn't trying to, like, she wasn't, you know, angry or anything at him. Yeah. Um, and I do believe Bill Smith had good intentions of finding her help or a place to sleep when he called the police. Okay. Um, and he obviously didn't know all the stuff that happened the night before with the police. Yeah. So he did call the police. I'll play that clip for you right now. Okay. Okay. Hello, Sheriff Station Office. Okay. Yeah, hi. Hey, uh, this is uh, uh, Smith of Cold Canyon. We had a prowler walking around through the backyard here, but we don't know what the situation was. I uh, don't know if you have a unit in the area. It might do a little drive-by or something. Okay, where is this at? This is Cold Canyon. I found gold in Mali Nido. Um, and it's in the back of the house, uh, which is right where Wood Bluff hits the hits, uh, Cold Canyon. Uh, and we just had a strange woman walking through the backyard here. It's a fairly large property, and she was sitting on the steps right, right in the back of the house here. Uh, this is kind of a circular driveway, and the gates were closed, so we don't know where this woman came from. You said the cross was Wood Bluff? Yeah, that's right. Uh, there, there's a, a horse trail, a hiking trail access through here, but we've never had this kind of happen, thing happen before. What she look like? White, black, Hispanic? Uh, you know, a tall, slim, black woman with Afro hair. How tall? Uh, well, she was sitting down, stretched out on the wooden steps in the back of the house, hard to tell. But uh, she looked like she might have been medium to slightly tall, uh, with a big Afro hair, very skinny. And, uh, I think she was wearing maybe jeans or tight pants with a T-shirt. You ever, you've never seen her there before? No, never. Nobody ever does that. I mean, the, the people hike on the trail all the time. We, you know, The trail goes through our property, but we leave it open on purpose because it's kind of a nice thing for horses and people. And you said she's laying across the, she was laying across the steps? or uh, She was sitting, kind of sprawled out. On the, on the wooden steps in the back of the house, right against the back of the house. She's yeah. since got up and left? Uh, she's since gone, yeah. She's been gone about five minutes now, but as we thought it over, we thought maybe a little drive-by wouldn't be a bad idea. And what direction was she, she last seen him? Never saw her. She, well, once she left, she just disappeared. Uh, we, I moved from one window to another. I said to her, I, I hollered down, are you all right? And she said, I'm just resting or something like that. Uh, but uh, she's certainly gone out of her way to get to that close to the house because the, the hiking trail is not that close. It's on the ridge. Great. Well, since we haven't checked the area for Appreciate that very much. Not a problem, sir. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So this was the last known sighting of my Therese Richardson for, you know, by Bill Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, now, neighbors also around the area said that they confirmed that they heard a woman screaming throughout the night. And, oh. Yeah, like in an abandoned house as well. Mm-hmm. There was an abandoned house that was there. They think they, she might have stayed there. They did hear screaming, though. And this was most likely my trees. Okay. That's very weird. Mm-hmm. So she was in it. So this was just an abandoned house that was near... His. Okay. Like, they said that there was an abandoned house there that she might have stayed in. But I think uh-huh. they... I mean, the neighbors didn't see her. They just heard. Yeah, so, so they just think... Been outside yeah, screaming. so they think it might have made sense for her to be in there. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, exactly. Now, Latisse was informed of this sighting by Bill 12 hours later. <laughs> I can't... Of course. And obviously, she was very upset with the lack of care that the L.A. County Sheriff's Department was exhibiting for finding her daughter. Mm-hmm. Thus, by herself, like... She took it upon herself to do this. She drove to the area in Montanito where Bill Smith lives. Latisse does not believe that Matrice arrived there on her own because the terrain the terrain is very um, rough and hilly, and it's not meant for... I mean, there is a hiking trail that she could have went on, mm-hmm. but 
in her state of mind, her mother believes that she got a mm-hmm. ride from someone. Maybe yeah. after she left the station, she got a ride from someone who yeah. brought her there. I don't know. This is just all what her mother thinks, because there's not much to work on when the police aren't really doing anything yeah. to do. I mean, that would make sense, though, if she came out right out of the police station and just asked anyone for a ride, and they just saw that it was a populous area, then that would have been... She probably just thought, this is a good spot for me to get out. Yeah. So, Matrice's family um, discusses some of her weird behavior leading up to her arrest and disappearance. Uh-huh. So, you know, she never had a break like that, a psychotic break. Mm-hmm. But she, her family said that a few days before, she texted her mother, and it was a weird text that read, quote, Now do you know what I want to be when I grow up? Miss Mother Nature, because Miss America is, is a fake-ass joke, along with everything else we see. So I'm trying to find my way to Michelle Obama to see if he if she will talk to Mr. Obama about creating my position within the White House. <laughs> so, like, her mom was like, what? Like, yeah, a little strange. A weird text like that. I mean, that's kind of the way she was speaking, too. Yeah. So maybe just the few weeks leading up to it, she was having a psychotic break. Yeah, but it's weird, though, because they said at work that she was fine, and her grandma said that she was acting fine and right? all that kind of stuff beforehand. Yeah, I don't know. But she did text that to her mother. Um, her aunt also said that the day before she disappeared, my Trice, um, she took her, she had cards because she was a go-go dancer and she had mm-hmm. like business cards. Yeah. She took them on, like kind of hid them or like scattered them around the house. And then as she was leaving, she left a note on the windshield of her uncle's car that read black women scorned. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know what to make of that. It's just very random. Yeah. Mm. All her behavior was pretty weird. I mean, the day before understandably she clearly yeah. had a psychotic break if she was not intoxicated or whatever yeah um, and the day before was as much as she wasn't acting weird at work she did leave yeah halfway through it so i don't know what was going through her mind obviously but it's very frustrating so of course the police waited too long to do this mm-hmm. <laughs> but they finally decided to check my car at the tow yard okay in her car they found jur- journals which were filled with pages and pages of sentences that made no sense whatsoever now, they did say that it was all writing that had occurred, like, a few days before, or, like, even the day before. Mm-hmm. So, they said for her to fill that many journals, she had to not sleep the day before, and she was just writing all night. Mm. Isn't that weird? Very. So, that's, like, gave me the chills. I don't know. Yeah. Her debit card was also in the car, and she had over $2,000 on it. So, obviously, it was more than enough to pay her $89 bill. Yeah. So, it wasn't money that was the issue. You know, it's not why she wasn't paying. They don't really know what happened. So, Latisse believes that Maitrice was suffering from bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. However, when Latisse asked the L.A. County Sheriff's Department for footage of Maitrice arriving at the station the night she was arrested, they told her that the cameras they had didn't record. Of course not. How convenient. <laughs> yeah, so, I do definitely believe that this was a police cover-up because a few days after, Latisse spoke with the detectives on the case and learned that the police did, in fact, have footage of Maitrice inside the police station. So they really just lied to her. Yeah. Uh, her family saw the footage and confirmed that she was acting abnormal because she, her, like, her mannerisms, she was kind of just off, like, swaying. Mm-hmm. Like, she wasn't acting in the right state of mind. But police still stand by the statement that her, that she was acting fine. That's why they released her. But there's literal footage of her not acting fine. So how can you possibly stand by that if there's literal evidence that it's not true? I don't know. So on January 9th, 2010, which was four months after my trees went missing, okay, um, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department conducted a large-scale search for my trees, which included over 300 volunteers and covered 18 miles of land. I'm glad it took them four months to get I know. <laughs> four months? That's insane. I know. I understand maybe a day or two, because you need to gather up the volunteers, yep. but this clearly seems to be a well-liked family in the community for moms a pageant person like i don't know it seems like a lot of people would know them well, yeah she like, wasn't in this community though remember oh yeah yeah, yeah she you're, right, from you're, here. Right, you're right i was about to say this seems like such a nice like family that people would volunteer yeah. for it but, but no, it's cause even if you don't know them i'm sure you can gather up a couple hundred people to help with this not yeah it shouldn't take four months in a couple days you can do all that so the search was by foot, and they also utilized air searches, and, you know, they thoroughly searched uh, creeks, trails, and ridges. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Maitrice was not found during this time. Mm. So after the search turned up nothing, Maitrice's friends and families obviously didn't want to give up on finding her, because mm-hmm. they knew that the police would probably be like, she wasn't found, let's wait a little bit. Mm-hmm. So over 100 volunteers continued searching without the help of the police department. Unfortunately, this also turned up no evidence of, tri- of my trees either mm-hmm. alive or dead. So At least they still tried. Yeah, exactly. Uh, interestingly, three weeks after the search concluded, my trees' dad, Michael, was at a stoplight in Los Angeles, and he really believed that he saw my trees cross the street right, right in front of his car. 
Mm. He believed it so much that he got out of his car, like, in the middle of the stoplight and ran out. So I feel like he wouldn't just be making that up. Yeah. Like, you would really think it was her if you could yeah. follow her. Um, so Michael believed that she was working as a prostitute. And he got out of his car at the red light, called out her name, and tried to catch up with her. But unfortunately, Maitrice got lost in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, obviously, everyone's like, oh, his mind's playing tricks on him. But her being trafficked and forced into prostitution for at least even a few months isn't surprising to me if that would happen. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there is a chance that if he wants so badly to see mm-hmm. his daughter, it's possible that anyone that looks like her, he's going to be like, oh, that's her. But that's not something that you could just instantly discredit yeah. for that reasoning. And, I mean, it's possible, especially if we think, like, we have no idea where she went after being in the field or the yard, the yeah. trail. Like, she could be anywhere. So, it's she's especially since she's in an area that she doesn't know, it could be very easy to target someone like her. Exactly. So the most frustrating thing for me while researching this case was that the camera footage of uh, Maitrice at the police station shows another deputy coming out of the station at the same time that she was being released by foot. And their paths probably crossed. However, the identity of the man was never released by the station and they kind of won't release it. Like, they kind of covered up his name and stuff. Mm. As the person that was coming out with her? Not with her. He was coming out of a different door at the same time as her. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So maybe they're just doing that because they know people will probably harass him. Mm-hmm. But you have to look into that. Yeah, it's still something that needs to be looked at. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if the police are so certain that he has nothing to do with him, then they shouldn't really have anything to hide on it. Yeah, so the department claims that this deputy was stopping by the station real quick after a routine traffic stop, and they claim that the officer performed another stop 20 minutes after being seen on the camera footage. So they said he they could not have harmed her. Um, He was on, you know, doing another stop. Mm-hmm. But this also doesn't really mean that he didn't give her a ride. If anything. Yeah. He still could have done that, even yeah. if he didn't hurt her. Uh, shortly after uh, Michael's sighting of Maitrice, mm-hmm. another potential sighting of Maitrice occurred. Someone who had gone to high school with her called her um, called her mother, actually, and told Latisse that he was in a casino in Las Vegas. And remember, Las Vegas is where Michael thought he saw her. Mm-hmm. This person was in a casino in Las Vegas where he saw Maitrice just standing there alone. So she wasn't with anyone. Mm. Or who he thought was Maitrice. Mm-hmm. Uh, she seemed, like I said, like she seemed like she was alone. And so he started walking towards her and calling out her name. But once she saw him, she turned around and ran away. Mm. Like ran. Yeah. Not walked. So, I mean, this also isn't confirmed. I mean, it's not a definite sighting, but I don't know. It's I mean, it is really coincidental, I guess, that the sightings happened in the same exact place. And that's, yeah, that's where she was from. But I mean, I don't know. I know. But, you know, if you can get taken anywhere, if you just completely lost, yeah. like... It's in the same area, like, it makes sense that it might be her. And her running could just be, she's nervous that whoever might be, I guess, controlling her at that time. If someone finds her, if someone finds her identity, like, she just might be nervous about the repercussions from him. Yeah, maybe. So, actually, the LAPD finally went to LA to investigate after... Uh, they they ignored Michael's claim of seeing her. They didn't even go to investigate. <laughs> of course. Uh, but once, um, you know, the other former classmates saw her, they found that over 70 people reported seeing Maitrice. But unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, none of... They, they took the leads or whatever, but unfortunately none of them led to Maitrice. So they mm. couldn't find her. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, huh, the LAPD only followed up on these sightings of Maitrice after Latisse filed a lawsuit against them for wrongful re- uh-huh. yeah for wrongful <laughs> release and gross negligence good so they would have never looked into them yeah it if seemed like she they hadn't taken to, action yeah trying to cover their asses pretty much yeah because they know that now that it's their fault but like that they could have stopped it yeah so actually uh my Teresa's father comments on this and i'll play that now yeah that's why i'm i'm really frustrated at lapd right now i i words cannot explain my frustration me as the biological father not only went by striking resemblance of this young lady, but body mechanics that this woman displayed when I saw her. The way she walked uh, just made me almost get hit by a car. I reported this to LAPD months ago, and six months later, someone that hasn't even seen her in 10 years say, it looks like her, thank God for him, I'm, I'm, I'm more appreciative of him. But then they're now jumping out of helicopters and airplanes and it just happened to be, ironically, two days after a lawsuit for wrongful relief and gross negligence is filed. I'm just not happy with that. 
So I didn't even think about his comment on like her body language and stuff like that. Like if I think about it, someone that I've known for a really long time, I, I don't even have to see their face. Like I could tell it's someone by the back of them, by how they're walking, by what they move, like yeah. anything like that. So if anybody's going to know that stuff, it's your father. Like it makes sense. So I didn't even think about that. I feel bad because now he's like, he's 100% sure that that was her. Yeah. So now he has to live with the... Well, they didn't do anything to follow up on it, and so now that's the reason why she's not around, you know? Yeah. So, unfortunately, we'll get into finding her now. Maitrice's body was finally found in a creek in Malibu Canyon. Canyon, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. She was naked, and despite the coroner's order to leave her body exactly how it was when she was found, authorities went against the order and removed her body, and thus tampering, obviously, with all the evidence that could have potentially been on her, or the way she was laying, you know? Of course. They do have only one photograph of her, the way she was laying, and they had to go by that to determine if she was, you know, naturally died when she was laying, or what happened. Now, police believe Mitrice's body was there since the day Bill Smith saw her, um, which means that she was laying there for 11 months and all their searches didn't turn up anything, which is kind of weird. However, her body, this is weird. Oh, Bill Smith is the guy that owned the house, right? Yeah. So police think that she's been there since then, but like they did so many, apparently so many searches. I don't know if I believe that. I don't think I believe that either. These people had, even after the police looked around for her... The, the friends and volunteers look out for her, so what are the odds that no one finds her? And she's just sitting in a creek. Like, it's not like... I know. I don't know her how... Her body was anywhere crazy. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure, like, if it was hard to get to the creek or yeah, whatever, but Yeah, I guess, maybe. But after all that time, there's just no way that nobody would have found it in 11 months. I yeah. don't believe that. Also, it's convenient that the body was moved around. So, like, it, you could say that her body's been there for 11 months, but if her body's moved around, like... Yeah. It might have actually been a shorter amount of time, but if it's tampered with, then you can't really tell. And exactly. Blah, blah. And the coroner said don't move her, and they moved her, so that's kind of sketch to me. Because um, they're just trying to get the case over with at that point. Yeah. However, so this is weird, because her body, if it was there for 11 months, you think her body would show signs of animals getting to it, because the area was heavy with coyotes and other animals that would have tried to eat her or whatever. Mm-hmm. But her body showed no signs of that. Mm. Yeah. And this is weird because the police said, yeah, the police said, no, her body has no signs of any animals touching her or whatever. However, when asked why she was naked, police backtracked and said they believe animals apparently (laughs) undressed her. So they just took her clothes and nothing (laughs) else. They they know how to just do that. (laughs) And they're just going to leave the point of them being at the, I mean, not to be disgusting, but the point of them being at the body would to be, to be at the body. But they just wanted her clothes. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. Come on. But that's what they said. They said police uh, believe that they tore her clothes off or whatever. Come on. I know. I don't even think it was there for 11 months. I don't either. Come on. So obviously Latisse was very frustrated and Michael was very frustrated with this. Yeah. So Latisse hired a private forensic anthropologist. He looked at the photo of Mitrice's body and said that the way her body was positioned makes it seem like it was a homicide. Mm. Five of her neck bones were missing. Oh. Yeah. So police saying her body was perfectly intact is obviously not true if five of her neck bones are missing. Yeah. <laughs> um, her left arm was also outstretched in an, un- an unnatural way, mm. indicating that she may have been trying to fight somebody off. Mm. Because her body was not, if you're going to die in a natural causes, yeah. as she did, apparently. <laughs> like, the way her body was, it kind of seemed like she was fighting someone uh-huh. off. Um, there was also, like I said, numerous reports of screams heard from where Mitrice's body was found several nights after she disappeared, but the L.A. County Sheriff's Department claimed that there was no foul, pl- no foul play and it wasn't a homicide. That's baloney. I know. <laughs> this case is so frustrating. That is, like, ridiculous. Yep. And this part it gets even worse. Because the police also did not send her clothes away for, to test for ed- any other DNA. Why? I don't know. If she was assaulted, <laughs> you know? Like, it, it literally, her body is injured in a way that shows that she was trying to fight pro- someone pro- off. Potentially, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't confirm that. Yeah. But there's enough evidence of her body being like that that it should be looked into. Exactly. And uh, the fact so, that her neck bones were missing already should just be looked into. <laughs> why are her neck bones if, missing? Even if it was animals, uh, don't say no animals got to her. Look yeah. into why her neck bones are missing. Yeah, if it's animals, then fine. It's animals, but you need to look either way. And if they're claiming that there weren't any animals... 
then it's a person, and then why aren't you looking into that? Exactly. If there's no animals, then why the hell is she naked? Then Unless it's a person. Unless she just sat and there just, and got naked, like, but I don't no, think she did that's, that. No, I don't think so either. Like, I know she wasn't in the right state of mind, but I just don't think she would have got naked and Yeah, but died. even when she was in a bad state of mind, it was more her speech and her mannerisms than anything else. It wasn't like she was doing anything that was very physically, yeah. like, off. So, Mitrice's parents ended up suing the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Good. For releasing their daughter against their wishes while she was not in the right state of mind. And each parent, so Latisse and Michael, they each received $450,000. Obviously, they were just trying to cover their asses because this isn't going to make up for the loss of their daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of just seemed like they wanted to shut up the parents and didn't want to damage the reputation or whatever of mm-hmm. the station. Uh, and after this happened, a statement was released saying that the police did not act wrongfully in this case, and they did their job. Whoa, <laughs> they did their job as they should have. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm tired. It's okay. <laughs> and this is so frustrating. I don't. I don't get it. No, nope. I, and I don't know how anybody can release that statement Mm-mm. and just in their gut, like consciously, be like, oh yeah. I can release this and I know it's true. Like, you can't. No, you, you can't read this story yeah. and not see that something is up with it. I can't tell you specifically it was this police officer. I can't tell you specifically what it was. But there is so many points in here that something could have happened. Yeah. And, uh, uh, there's no way she gets cited 70 times. There's no way a father literally says, I saw my daughter and... No one looks into it. Yeah, I know. It's really sick. Like, sure, maybe he did just imagine her, but you know what? It's still worth the double check to make sure. I know. So in 2016, the California Attorney General's office said that they would look into the department and see if any criminal activity occurred. Unfortunately, a year later, in January 2017, they concluded that there was insufficient evidence for the L.A. County Sheriff's Department being responsible or concealing any evidence, and the investigation was closed. I mean, but they did, but sure. I know. Because they I mean, didn't release the, fact, the camera footage. That's what I was going to say. That's concealing evidence in itself. Yeah. So, unfortunately, Mitrice's case was officially closed and ruled just death by, I guess, natural causes, natural <laughs> conditions, outdoors. What? Natural conditions. I guess Makes your outside. arms stretch out and your neck bones out of your body. Yep. That's natural. Yep. Mm. And the fact that, like I said, she was naked and she was released by foot in a very suspicious manner was apparently not enough evidence to investigate any further or charge anyone for her death. So yeah, Even if you don't charge someone for their death, you have to be able to say, like, I don't know if you could put unknown causes, like, on something, but clearly it's not natural. Yeah. So even if you put undetermined, I feel like that if I was her parents, it would make me feel better to at least know that they're not just covering it up and they're not just saying it's natural causes to like end the case at least if you say undetermined then you might hold out hope that at some point somebody's gonna find out what happened to her exactly but nope that this case is ruled that's how it was ruled and the um department kind of got off with it because in 2017 everything just got closed that's crazy so yeah that's i mean there hasn't been any updates from that no updates, no. That's wild. And I feel so bad for her family. Yeah, I hate this one. That was not too. fun. <laughs> okay, guys. So, for this episode, I'm going to be talking about the Brunswick Springs in Vermont. Okay. So, in 1984, Ripley's, believe it or not, called the Brunswick Springs the eighth wonder of the world. Hmm. So, I'm going to get into the actual theory about it, like the supernatural kind of part of it, in a second. But first, I think it's worth mentioning that scientifically, the Brunswick Springs doesn't really make any sense. So, in the Brunswick Springs is six different springs that, like, meet together. So, each spring contains a different mineral and they all combine at the end which scientifically it doesn't really make sense springs are supposed to just produce one mineral wait the springs each one produces a different mineral one produces iron calcium magnesium sulfur bromide and arsenic huh that's interesting yeah and then it all flows (laughs) into the river below 
Oh. Yeah, so it, scientifically, it just doesn't really make sense that it's able to do that in the first place. So obviously, just solely based off of that, people are going to believe that this is a really unique and special yeah. springs. Um, the area of Vermont itself that it's located in is an area that is the most, I would say, the most touristy area of Vermont. It's known as the uh, Northeast Kingdom. Uh, it was just a term that a senator in the early 1900s called it just due to its the nature of it and the people that live there. Um, so the area of Vermont itself, and most lists, it's listed as one of the places in the world, really, that people should be visiting. You should visit. I want to. We Honestly, should. I saw pictures of it. It's really, really nice up there. We should go. So it's... So the place itself is really nice, and obviously the springs themselves are really unique compared to any other. So, the legend starts in 1748. So, it starts in 1748 when the Abenaki people, if I pronounce that wrong, disclaimer, it's possible that that's wrong, but I think that's how you say it. So that's what we're going to rock with. (laughs) So, these native people who lived in the area uh, in 1748... They brought a wounded soldier, a French soldier, to these springs. They placed him under the water, and it appeared to clear his wounds. So, um, the native people at the time had already labeled that spring as the medicine waters of the Great Spirit. They thought that it had a mystical ability, and it was a sacred spring to them. Um, So, amazed by this, the soldier later on returned to these springs in an attempt to monetize the springs. He tried to bottle the water, and he tried to sell those waters. Yeah. And the more people that he brought back with him, the more in danger the native people ended up. And actually, uh, after the conflict ensued, um, it resulted in the death of Abenaki men and children. Um, So one of these children's mothers, legend has it, of course, this is not, we can't confirm any of this, Mm -hmm. but legend has it that after she was so upset with grief, she cursed the springs and decided that whoever tried to make a profit and gain money from its waters would fail and ultimately harm would come to them. So, of course, this is all legend. It happened so long ago. There's no documented proof of anything like that happening, but... There have been some very funky things that have happened at these springs that maybe show that she wasn't messing around. <laughs> so, in the nineteen in the eighteen hundreds, sorry, that's when rumors of the springs like healing properties came to be popularized. Um, also, in the eighteen early eighteen hundreds is when the railroads were starting to be created, so it became easier for whether it be tourists, workers whoever else was going up there for business to be able to get up there in itself. And that's when that area of Vermont became so populous. So after it became a free enterprise and so many people were trying to go up there, um, the economy in Vermont really took off. Uh, So the first person that tried to open up a hotel by the Springs, his name was Dr. Rawell. He opened a hotel called the Brunswick Spring House. Um, Obviously it prospered for a little bit of time, but he also started to open a bottling plant in order to sell the water yeah. in the springs, which he should not have. <laughs> um, so in 1894, that hotel burned to the ground. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Now, there are, spoiler alert, the thing about these hotels that continue to be created is that they continue to burn down. For most of these cases... It is undetermined how they burned down. It is under mysterious circumstances that they all burned down. One of the cases was due to paint fumes, quote-unquote. And people have caught the fires, but they've the hotels have burned down anyway. So most of these cases, you can't pinpoint why there was a fire in the first place, which, of course, opens your mind to yeah. it's cursed. Yeah. <laughs> so Dr. Robwell, however after having success for however many years, did not want to give up on his endeavor to create this hotel and the economy up there. So he created a new hotel, which he called the Pinecrest Lodge. Um, This hotel uh, was okay until he passed away in 1910, um, and it continued to prosper. Um, In 1929... uh, John Hutchins from New Hampshire uh, decided to take over that area. He bought the area and he created his own hotel. 
And then in on September 19th, 1929, that hotel also burned. <laughs> um, again, like Rawell before him, he was determined to try to make it work. He replaced it with an even bigger resort this time. So it was more luxurious. Um, he really used the spring, like, into his hotel. It what was like... The water specifically was the running water from the spring was the running water that was used in his hotel. Oh, okay. Um, he, I mean, the place was huge. It was four and a half stories high. It had a hundred rooms in it, uh, plate glass windows, had a 155 foot terrace. Um, so it was a very luxurious hotel, especially for the time period that it's from. Like, that's a pretty big hotel, especially to just be in northern Vermont. Yeah. However... On May 15th, 1930, only one month before the hotel was set to open, so it hadn't even opened yet, this new hotel, because now, again, this is his second time doing it after the first guy had already done it twice. Yeah. Um, a person that was just on night watch saw smoke coming from the storage room before he can call for help. Um, the phones were not working, and the hotel ended up... Uh, burning down (laughs) (laughs) so this is now four times damn however that for whatever reason did not stop hutchins from trying a third time (laughs) so in by the spring of 1931 his now third attempt at a hotel opened up however (laughs) so it opened in the spring of 1931 so still in the spring of 1931 on april 23rd his third hotel burnt to the ground. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. How? Uh, mysterious yeah, no, circumstances. Yeah. But like, damn, that's yeah. a lot. And it, so it opened in the spring, and it burnt in April twenty-three. So it probably lasted no more than a month damn. before it burnt down. Um, after that, didn't try it again. Yeah. Since then, people have not tried to do it directly on the grounds of the springs. Obviously, there's like hotels and businesses open around it, just because, like I said, it's a very um, popular area in Vermont, but ones that directly utilize the springs people have not been trying to use it since then good mm-hmm. they should so, just leave it how it is oh yeah 100 percent. i mean after all of that and i feel like <laughs> everyone's always trying to capitalize on stuff 100 percent. make money from it instead of just leaving it mm-hmm. so the hotel is definitely the main part of the theory about it which honestly like to me for like what are the odd five times realistically that this has happened because it's four fires and then the third time that he made the hotel the guy passed away so he was no longer profiting from it so technically it was only four fires that burnt the hotels down right so that's a lot though 100 percent. and it's all all these things happen except the first fire all the other three fires happened almost immediately after the hotel was opened or right before they were actually gonna make profit off of it so it does tie in very much to the legend because the legend was specifically that bad things will happen to you if you try to profit off the spring. Yeah. So because the legend is, I, I don't think that it's that they have any pa- problem with people coming to it, using it, even because they, the legend is that they healed a French soldier using this. So it's not that they have a problem with people using its abilities, quote unquote. It's that they have a problem with people monopolizing it and making money off of it. Yeah, because humans are greedy. Yeah. So... The only other part that kind of ties into a legend, and it doesn't necessarily directly tie into the legend, but it is a little creepy. Um, the wood areas around Brunswick Springs are specifically, I believe, don't quote me on it, but I believe in Vermont it is the most popular uh, popular place that people end up committing suicide there. Mm. Um, the woods very often has people commit suicide in it. I don't know if it statistically is necessarily the number one place, but it is definitely a frequented place for that. So, again, that doesn't necessarily tie into the legends, but the area around the woods does have, like, some unnerving creepy things happening in it that some people might say that part of the legends has to do with either hauntings or supernatural things like that. Hmm. Yeah. I want to go. I've never been there. Yeah. So, I mean, this is definitely a short theory, but when I read it, I was like... No, that's a good theory, though. it, It is... There's just... It's so coincidental. Yeah. That it's hard to explain. And it's definitely, like I said, it's one of the most, one of the places that has so many tourists that go into it. So I'm sure there's plenty of sightings of weird things happening there besides just these hotel burnings. But the hotel burnings are the part that creep me out because sometimes like some of these things that are legends like that, like mm-hmm. it might be true. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> and you know what? 
the legend, the idea that it does have some healing powers, I mean, if one spring is gonna prove it, it's this one, because scientifically it already is so weird. Yeah. It's not supposed to be able to do what it's doing already, so maybe it does have those powers, you never know. Yeah. All right, and that's all we have for you this week, folks. Catch us every week for Freaky Friday with the Queens of Queens. Bye, Queens.